Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Everybody doing good? Well, as you uh, have gathered here today and you're in this place, uh, there's a reason for you being here. I don't know exactly why you came, but I know why we do this. Every Sunday morning, uh, whether it's at uh, First Norfolk on Kempsville at 8, 9, 30, or 11, uh, whether it's with our Hispanic fellowship in the chapel at 11 o'clock, whether it's with our Russian fellowship that meets uh, later in the day, or North African fellowship, uh, whether it's uh, with our First Norfolk on Volvo location uh, right now at 11 o'clock. I, I don't know exactly why you came, but I know why we do this every day. And that's what we're going to look at today. Why do we have this thing called corporate worship? Uh, every day, people make decisions about what they're going to go see. People will uh, go through all kinds of uh, difficulties, pay great prices to see their favorite team play a sporting event. Uh, they will uh, have parties in their home to turn on the television and have groups gather together to watch their favorite uh, television episode or their favorite uh, reality stars. Reality stars, really. So watch their reality stars do their thing. Uh, there are people who will go to conferences or to watch a video on YouTube on how to put lattice work together or how to renovate their home. Uh, there are people who will do all sorts of things to see all sorts of things. Uh, when uh, Edie and I and our family were, when we were uh, in Mississippi and pastoring in Mississippi, uh, if you were an old Miss, uh, University of Mississippi person, uh, if you were an old Miss fan during football season, uh, you would uh, go to the Grove and you would have this just uh, sold out kind of crazy tailgating experience at the Grove. People would do uh, come, they would set up tents in the Grove and they would have uh, barbecues and, and have glam, they'll glam it up with all kinds of different things. You were, if you were to go to the Oxford Airport, which is a little puddle jump airport, you would see that people from all over the state of Mississippi and literally other places, they flown in and they fly in every weekend on their uh, chartered jets in order to land there at that uh, little puddle jump airport so that they can see their team play. Uh, they'll spare no expense to do those things. Um, well, we gather here, and we gather here not to see a sporting event. We gather here not to be a spectator watching actors on television or the big screen. Uh, we're here not to have a great to-do uh, seminar on uh, how to do certain things with life. And no, we've gathered here, and the purpose of us gathering here every single week is to see God. Uh, that's why we're here. Uh, the reason First Norfolk has all these different various worship gathering opportunities is because we believe it is God's call on us as a church to provide the avenue so that corporately we can see God. Now, seeing God is not something that happens just because you want to see him. Um, seeing God is something that God orchestrates. Uh, he takes the initiative in us seeing him. Um, but when it comes to seeing him, it's not just having a vision of who he is. It's 
more in depth than that. We want to see God so that we might know him. So that we know him more fully. So that we would grow in our knowing him. So that we might worship him. Corporate worship at First Norfolk. First Norfolk at Kempsville or, or First Norfolk at Volvo. Corporate worship at First Norfolk is set in place so that we might know God. This is God's design. God established corporate worship so that we might know him. So that we might know him more fully. You might say, well, I know God. There was a day when uh, I recognized that my sin had separated me from God. And I saw that Jesus died on a cross for my sin. And, and I uh, went to Jesus and I surrendered my life to him. And I repented my sin before him. And I, I invited Jesus to be the, uh, the Lord of my life. And, and Jesus transformed my heart on that day in this wondrous transaction of grace. Jesus, who is holy and perfect and righteous, who is God himself, become flesh and bone, who dwelt among us, who died in my place upon a cross, who was buried, who ra- was raised again three days later. That Jesus is my king. He is my savior. And he has made me fit for God's family so that I can know God. And all of that is true. But do you realize that God has designed worship for every believer every week so that every believer in every week might grow to know God more? That's what worship does. That's what worship is. That is our purpose as a church, is to have worship so that we might know know God and know him more fully. God has designed worship to be a weekly event, not an occasional event. And I know that we all get distracted or detoured with a lot of different things in our lives. Uh, I know not everyone here has a job that brings them to church on Sunday morning like mine does. I, I understand all that, but God designed worship, corporate worship. What we're doing right now, God designed it as a weekly event for every believer so that the church might be healthy. You remember last week we looked in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, uh, at, at what it means to be a healthy church. The, the, the message last week was titled, God's plan to change the world. And God's plan to change the world is the church, not just any church, this church. And, and, and the healthy church is the church that God uses literally to change the world. How do we become healthy? We looked again, Acts 9, 31. A healthy church is a church that lives, you and I, as we live, walk in the fear of the Lord. Living in the fear of the Lord means we live for God's pleasure. So uh, a healthy church is made up of members who live by the fear of the Lord and by the comfort or the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. We become healthy as a church when you and I individually as part of the church are healthy by living in the fear of the Lord and walking by the comfort of the Spirit. So how do we ramp up living by the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit? That's what worship does. This helps us become healthy. So God designed worship to make us healthier as we grow to know who God is and grow in our knowledge of God. We're not here to see a show. We're not here to be a spectator of a sporting event. We're not here to figure out how to do lattice work. We are here to see God and to be transformed by that encounter with him. So in Acts chapter 6, we have the classic text, literally the classic text about what worship is all about. 
what corporate worship should be throughout time. Uh, uh, throughout the history of the Christian church, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 8 is the classic text to teach us corporate worship. So we're going to unpack it a little bit today. In Acts chapter 6, verse, verses 1 through 8, we hear Isaiah speaking. Isaiah was a prophet uh, in the Old Testament during the time of Judah, and and he had been uh, a prophet for about 18 years when the king of Judah, Uzziah, died. Now, Uzziah was a good king. Not every king in Judah or in Israel was a good king. Some of them followed the imaginations of their own evil heart, and yet some of them did what God wanted. Uzziah was one of the kings that did what God wanted, and, and he tried to lead the children of Israel, the people of God, to worship God faithfully. But even, even through the reforms and all the different things that, that King Uzziah did, there was worship that was taking place that wasn't for the living God, but rather it was for other gods. There were people who were going to church on a Sunday, Saturday, going to church on a Sunday, a Saturday uh, during that time, and, and they would say all the words, and they would read all the scripture, and they would sing all the songs, but their heart was not turned toward God. They didn't worship God. They were just there as spectators of a religious event. Then everything began to fall apart because Uzziah died. And Uzziah's death led Isaiah to go back to the temple, the place for corporate worship. He, he went back to the temple to, uh, to contemplate, wondering what this meant for God's people, what this meant for him. He went to the temple to see God. I don't know why you've come today. But regardless of the reason why you came, my prayer is that you would see God so that you might know him. And in your knowing God, you might worship him. I pray it not just for today, but for every time we gather together corporately as First Norfolk. Isaiah chapter 6. I want us to uh, go through these eight verses, and then, and then we'll unpack it a little bit and see how this worship needs to infect and inflame us. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one seraphim cried to another seraphim, saying... Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole world is filled with his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, this is Isaiah speaking, woe is me, for I am undone. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the king, not Uzziah. For my eyes have seen the king, not Uzziah's heir. For mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth. 
And he said, Behold, this live coal has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. And I also heard a voice, the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall we send? Who shall go for us? And I said, Here am I, Lord. Send me. As we listen to this encounter between God and Isaiah, I pray that you would see yourself in that encounter. Now, last week I gave a definition of worship. I wanted to kind of revisit that definition as well uh, this week. Worship is intimate communion with the living God, honoring him with all that we are, adoring him for all that he is, and living each day for his glory. Worship is intimate communion with God, with the living God. Uh, that, that means that uh, for worship to happen, I need to have intimate relationship with God. That's why I said a few moments ago that uh, worship can't happen if you don't have Jesus. Because the only way for you and for me to enter into intimate communion with the living God is through Jesus. Now, why is that? Because our sin has separated us from God. Later, Isaiah would say that God's hand is not shortened, that that it cannot save. His ear is not dull, that he cannot hear. But your sins have separated you from your God. That's our plight. Our sin has separated us from God so that unless there is a remedy placed upon us, we cannot know God in an intimate way. Way. And that's the message of Jesus. That's the good news that we celebrate as followers of Christ. That God in his great love sent Jesus to our rescue. That we were lost in our sin. That we were undone by our sin. But God sent Jesus to us. Jesus who is holy, who is righteous, who is perfect, who is majestic. Jesus who is God became flesh and bone. He dwelt among us. We saw the glory of God through him. Jesus went to a cross to pay the price that my sin demanded. He died for sinners like you and me upon that cross. He was buried and then he was raised from the dead. He did all of that so that you and I by faith might trust him. That we might dive into the mercy of God and be rescued by the grace of God because we trust that Jesus alone is God's rescue for us. And if you are here today and you have experienced that glorious work of God's grace, then you were made brand new so that you can have intimate communion with the living God. He's poured his spirit within you so that today you live in immediate intimacy with God so that together all of us might worship him. Because his spirit resides within us, we now have this opportunity to honor him with all that we are. We have this privilege to adore him For all that he is. And we have the responsibility of worship to live each day for his glory. That's worship. All right. So what does that look like in this setting? As we have gathered here at Volvo and Kipsville and the chapel uh, here at Kipsville, as we've gathered together, what does that look like for you and me? 
What does corporate worship do to unleash this honoring God with all that we are, adoring him for all that he is, and living each day for his glory? How does, how does this setting help us with that journey? Well, Hebrews 10, uh, verse 24 and 25, again, the design that God has set, he said, uh, um, he said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. But, but get together to stir up love and good works with one another. He said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but get together and encourage one another. Led by the Spirit of God, encourage one another to do what? To live for God's glory, to honor him with our whole heart. When we get together for corporate worship, our focus is not on our favorite team or our uh, uh, favorite actor or our uh, favorite reality star or how-to-do-it guru. Our, our focus is not on each other even. Our focus is on the King of glory, the Lord of hosts. Our focus is on God himself. And so when we get here, uh, we get here to worship and and, and that intimate communion leads us through this process of worship corporately that begins with knowing God's holiness. You see, when we worship God corporately, we exalt, we praise, we, we anticipate this wondrous holiness of God entering into our view. It is the holiness of God that really uh, leads the whole narrative in Isaiah chapter 6. It is the holiness of God. Uh, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord, and then he described the Lord. The Lord sitting on his throne. That's a heavenly throne. He's high and lifted up. He is beyond me. He is high and lifted up. The train of his robe, uh, only the little skirt on his robe, it filled the entire temple. And then all these angels are in attendance to God himself, and they are worshiping God, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. That is worship. Then... Uh, in verse 4, it says that the place where, they were, where he was, the doorposts were shaken and smoke filled the room because of the worship. Now, friends, I got to tell you, the reason the worship was powerful is because it was singularly focused on the holiness of God. Holiness is a big word. I don't want us to get lost in the theology behind it, but holiness means set apart. It's different. It's separate. Uh, when we talk about the holiness of God, it's not just one attribute of who God is. It is a sum of every one of his attributes. Holiness means that God is faithful in a way that you and I will never be faithful. It means that he is righteous in a way that you and I will never be righteous. It means that he is perfect in a way that he, you and I will never be perfect. It means that he is great in a way that you and I will never be great. He is excellent in a way that you and I will never be excellent. He is awesome. He is mighty. He is powerful. He is sovereign. He is purposeful. He is loving. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is all these things and more. And we can't even begin to fathom how majestically marvelous God is. He is not one of us. He is not like us. He is different. 
He is God. He is the maker of the heavens and the earth. We heard earlier uh, and encourage you to go and read John chapter 5 again and see this wondrous picture of, of how Jesus is the bridge between uh, sinners like you and me and a holy God who is majestic and powerful and greater than us all. Jesus wants us to understand that it's the holiness of God, that otherness of God, that majesty of God, that transcendence of God, that power of God, that, that creative force who is God. It is God who deserves our worship, our adoration, our life. He and he alone deserves to be praised. When we get in this place, no matter which hour or which location, but when we first Norfolk get in this place, our one duty is to praise the God who is holy. And when we give our hearts to worship him, when we when we humble ourselves before him and we acknowledge that he is great and I'm not. Guys, listen, this may be a great journey for you to take every single day, but it is certainly a great journey for us to take as a church all the time. He is God, I am not. Get it? We have to understand that because it is the easiest thing in the world to play at the game of being God of our own lives. And when we gather together, it is an opportunity for us to turn that natural tendency that we have. I'm in charge. I am the captain of my own faith. I'm the master of my own destiny. That's what we want to be. But because of worship, we are reminded that he is holy, holy, holy. He is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of angel armies, and he alone deserves our worship. When we gather for worship, we know God's holiness. Through the songs we sing, through the scripture we read, through the Spirit speaking through those songs and through the scripture, we know God's holiness. And by the way, fear of the Lord means that we recognize God as God and we are living in the fear, the awe, the reverence. I'm not going to step across a line that God has laid down because he is God and I am not. I'm not going to behave in a way that God doesn't want me to behave. Why? Because he is God and I am not. Worship, worship, true worship praises God for who he is. And it begins to shape our hearts because it shows us who we really are. You see this in Isaiah. Isaiah began and saw again the holiness of God and knew God's holiness. But in light of God's holiness, it made Isaiah very aware of his own sinfulness. Do you realize worship and so many different permutations that we have in different places, uh, we try to make worship a feel-good experience where everybody walks out singing kumbaya. I don't know if y'all even know what kumbaya is. Uh, but, but we sing, uh, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. And soon all those around will warm up to its glowing. That's how it is with God's love once you've experienced it. I have to sing. It smells like spring. I don't know. I want to pass it on, right? We, 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 we want to have those campfire moments, and those aren't bad. I'm not saying that's bad. But friends, worship, true worship, corporate worship needs to make us astutely, acutely aware of our own sinfulness, 
The angels declared, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And Isaiah's response was, woe is me. I'm undone. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah saw God in all of his holiness, and it made him acutely aware of his own sinfulness. Now, in worship, this has to, not only is worship praise, but worship is confession. You and I need to understand that our sin is still here. I've been rescued by God's grace. The, The blood of Jesus has covered me. He has brought me into God's family. I am Uh, righteous only because I'm covered in the royal robes and the righteous robes of Jesus Christ. But there is behavior in my life. There are thoughts in my head. There are words that come off my mouth that are sinful and sin-filled. And worship must lead me to declare out, woe is me. I need to have a good moment of woe in worship. All of us do. Again, it helps with our humility. I haven't got all this figured out, and I'm not perfect. Only Jesus is. And if worship is going to be meaningful, then I need to have that woeful moment where I recognize my sinfulness, and I plead again the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, for Isaiah, he needed an angel to go to the altar and pick up a live coal and come and touch his lips, which was symbolic of his whole person. Touch his lips and and, and that that cleansing work of that live coal uh, purged the sin and took away the iniquity. and, And that was glorious for Isaiah. But friends, today, as followers of Jesus, we have that forgiving love of God that's already covered us in the blood of Jesus Christ. But in worship, we know God's forgiving love when we confess our sin. We acknowledge his holiness and our unrighteousness, and we confess our sin, and we plead for God's love again to be the dominating force in our lives. It is the forgiveness of God that we need to, to which we need to turn especially in corporate worship. Corporate worship highlights God's holiness, but in highlighting God's holiness, it shows out our sinfulness. And in showing out our sinfulness, we desperately need God's forgiving love. And here's the good news. God is still forgiving in his loving. God wants to forgive. He sent Jesus to forgive. He offers forgiveness. That's why we have 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is what worship does. It shows us God's forgiving love here and now. Woe is me. Do you have a woe moment? Woe is me. I am undone. Why? Because I've seen the Lord of hosts who is my king, and he is holy. Woe is me, I am undone. I have unclean hands and heart and mouth and mind. Woe is me, I'm undone. But God says, oh, Eric, I love you. And because you've confessed, and with that confession comes repentance, I want you to know there is forgiveness. God is not holding your crimes against him over your head. Hear this. Worship teaches us that God has removed the crimes that we have done 
from his own view as far as the east is from the west. Corporate worship keeps us humble because it reminds us of our woe is me. But corporate worship gives us a reason to sing and celebrate because it focuses us, focuses us in again on the magnificent forgiving love that God has. Worship is praise as we know God's holiness. Worship is confession and forgiveness as we know God's forgiving love. And worship is commission. Worship, uh, worship helps us know God's missionary heart. So here is this journey that Isaiah has been on. He sees God high and lifted up. The angels declare, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole world is filled with his glory. Isaiah responds with a woe because he sees his own sinfulness. God responds to Isaiah's woe with forgiving love. And then God asks, verse 8, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah responds, here, my Lord, send me. God was in the sending business. God wanted the people of Judah to hear the good news of his rescuing love. God sent Isaiah just as he would send Jesus to bring the message of hope and rescue and reconciliation to a people separated from God by by their sin. And the same is true today. We have a church because God has a mission that must be fulfilled. We are still God's plan to change the world, but we must go as he sends. His heart is a missionary heart. In Luke chapter 15, we have three stories that Jesus told describing the heart of God the Father. One of those stories is the story of the shepherd who had a hundred sheep. One sheep got lost and the shepherd went and left the 99 sheep and went after the one sheep who was lost and in danger, found him, bring him home, and said, let's have a party. In the same way, our living God, whom we worship today, to whom we cry, holy, 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 to whom we confess our sin and receive his forgiving love, this same God is calling us to be on mission because there are still lost sheep in the seven cities of Hampton Roads. There are still lost sheep around the globe and around the world, and they need, they must hear the good news of God's rescuing love brought to them through Jesus Christ the King. And God sends us as an act of worship. Worship is not complete until we commit to go for our God whom we say that we serve. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. The apostle Paul wrote, do not be conformed any longer. I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present yourselves a living sacrifice holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service of worship. Present yourselves a living sacrifice, not some dead beast on an altar, but a living sacrifice, living each day as an act of worship to glorify the one who has sent us, to go among our coworkers and our classmates, to go among our our neighbors and our friends and our family, to go among those that we meet at the grocery store and those that we see uh, on the, uh, 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 at the, not the grocery store, but wherever else you want to go. Wherever we 
we are, we see these people and God has sent us on a mission to be with them, to share with them. Yes, you're living in despair, but you don't have to anymore. Why? Because my God, whom I serve, is here to rescue you. Worship helps us know God's missionary heart so that we can leave this place on mission for him. Ah, Listen. I know, I know that there are so many different things that you can get so active about and intentional about, but, but worship means that we go for God with the message that he has given us. And that message is that if you are far from God, separated from him by your sin, then you can receive forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ who died on a cross for you, was raised from the dead so that you might have forgiveness and new life. And we are called to share that glorious message with everyone we encounter. Today, I invite you to worship the Lord. This is what makes a healthy church. When we together set our hearts in this one theme, I don't want to watch a football game. I don't want to see an actor. I want to see God. I want to know his holiness. I want to know his forgiving love. And I want to know his missionary heart. All that's left for us to do this morning is to say, here am I, Lord. Send me. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Over the course of our days, we can become confused about the reasons we do certain things. My hope today is that you would see the reason why First Norfolk has corporate worship and why it is essentially important for you to be part of it. Perhaps in these next few moments, really what you just need to do is you need to start over and you need to praise the Lord. Knowing his holiness, you need to honor him with all that you are, adoring him for all that he is. You need to praise the Lord. Maybe before you go another moment in this time of corporate worship, you need to confess and receive forgiving love. You need to confess the sin that is so clearly part of your life and mine, and so clear to the heart of God the Father. And maybe what needs to happen before another thing happens in this place, you need to confess and receive forgiveness. In worship, maybe praise has been part of your journey already corporately, and confession and repentance and forgiveness has been part of your journey, but but the here am I, send me, you're like, well, well, What does that mean? It means that the minute you leave this place, the worship only gets stronger. It means the minute you leave this place, you are looking for opportunities to honor, to glorify God with your words and your actions. It means that you're ready and on your lips is a message of life instead of death, of hope instead of despair, of joy instead of sorrow, of rescue in the place of chains. Today is your opportunity to say, yes, Lord, here am I, send me. In these next few moments, this altar is going to be open for you to come and 
There are going to be ministers here at the front in case you have questions about what it means to be a follower of Christ, or maybe you have questions about joining the church, or maybe, maybe you just want somebody to pray with you, and, and ministers are here to do that very thing. And after I pray here in a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song of praise together, and it's a beautiful song, a song of celebrating the faithfulness of God and the power of His love and the purpose of our praise. So, Father, in these next few moments as we worship you, I pray that we would leave nothing untouched in our worship, that we would praise you with our whole heart, knowing your holiness, that we would confess with our whole heart, knowing your forgiving love, that we would, that we would give every moment of every day to you, the King of glory, because we know you're that you have a missionary heart. Father, have your way with us in this place at this time, and we will adore you, we will magnify you, we will worship you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.